You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast Nordics, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Chris Bennett, and I help connect businesses with tech freelancers, and I'm your host. Welcome, everyone, to the Nordics Evolution Exchange podcast. Um, this is part of our C-level thread that we've been doing very successfully for the last four or five months. Today, I'm welcomed by the CEO of Soundtrack Your Brand, um, and we're meeting all the stars today. Um, and then before he speaks, I'm going to give him a, a, a warm introduction. So Ola Saz is a Stockholm-based uh, serial entrepreneur active in the music tech space. He's the founder, CEO, and chairman of Soundtrack Your Brand, the world's fastest growing music platform for B2B. Before Soundtrack, he co-founded a Spotify's business together with Spotify, a standalone effort to expand Spotify's reach into B2B streaming. And in 2018, he's pivoted Spotify's business into Soundtrack as a fully independent brand and business. Previous to co-founding Spotify Business, he was the co-founder and COO of Beats Music, acquired by Apple and transformed into Apple Music, as well as the co-founder of Pacemaker, the world's first DJ-driven music platform. Ola has been featured on Rolling Stone, Billboard, Bloomberg, and is a regular in music and technology community. I spoke to Ola a few weeks ago when we were looking at what we could tackle uh, in this discussion, it was clear there was a lot of fear in the market at the moment. Um, and looking at uh, Older's experience, I thought it'd be really relevant to us to talk about um, what's, what his lessons learned in previous uh, potential recessions uh, and his thoughts on current market conditions and what companies and, and CEOs could be doing. So, first of all, Ola, welcome. How are you doing today? Uh, good. Thanks for having me. It's a sunny, sunny morning here in Stockholm. A bit cold, but but um, actually preferable. Yeah, it's been even in the UK. It's been uh, I've been glad of the warmth, but it's been way too warm when we don't have air conditioning. Yeah, we don't. We ne- we don't <laughs> tend to kind of justify those investments here in the Nordics. So <laughs> probably not no. in the UK either. No. <laughs> no. And I don't think that there's too much disposable income knocking about to make those kind of purchases. Not at uh, this moment, no. Not <laughs> at this moment, no. Uh, no, but seriously, Ola, I really appreciate you using some of your time today and really looking forward to this discussion. Um, so, Ola, when we last spoke, um, you actually mentioned there's people potentially been too reactive recently. Um, just talk us through what you mean by that. Well, you and I were speaking about like what's an interesting topic, right? What's what what could be relevant for the listeners uh, in this pod, and and I think on everyone's mind right now is obviously the market and market meaning um, the access to capital uh, to fund your business, because because most of the people here are either working or driving a company, uh, working at or driving a company that that requires external funding. <clears throat> so I think the economy. Uh, and the macroeconomic uh, backdrop has become relevant for the startup community quite quickly. And I think people were were somewhat <clears throat> reactive and caught by surprise, amazingly enough, because it was a very, very quick shift from the highs of, of 2021 and 2022 that were absolutely crazy, I would say, 
uh, and then right into a steel bath into the market completely just stopping uh, in terms of investments and funding. I mean, there are small, uh, you know, islands of hope here, but but currently the market is more or less in standstill. And I think it's only the beginning. And I think that uh, we see a number of layoffs. We see a number of like adjustments. Um, we see we'll, we will see uh, and are seeing um, <clears throat> valuation contraction, people having to raise money on, you know, levels that they would never even think of uh, a year ago. Um, Klarna is an example. So, so I think um, I think my my comment was, what the hell is going on right now? And everyone's thinking, what's going to happen? Does anyone have any type of kind of educated view on what the next six to twelve months will look like? And I think I obviously don't know, but I've been spending the summer to really try to educate myself and triangulate uh, the way that we at Soundtrack are going to relate to the upcoming six to twelve months. So I thought that could be, you know. That could be a topic and, and my general kind of pitch on that one is I think people have been, you know, lost in space a little bit and been caught, caught in, you know, they become very reactive and all of a sudden they're, you know, they have to adjust uh, in a couple of weeks and start firing people and talk about profitability, but they have not been even starting to work uh, around kind of the, the path to profitability up until now, which is for me a bit surprising. And, and Ola, um, a couple of points there. Yeah, you noted the the Klarna valuation dropping from about forty five billion to six or nine billion. I seen most recently, um, which sounds crazy, doesn't it? Um, and then second of all, just Ola, from your point of view, um, in terms of the reason why this happening, are you? Is it the war in? the east of Europe at the minute? Is it something else? Can it, what, what are your thoughts why this has happened so quickly and why people have been caught uh, with the pants down as such? <laughs> well, I, I'm obviously not, you know, a, a macroeconomic specialist or a specialist in, in, in the financial markets, but I'm as, a, as, a, uh, as an entrepreneur, I pay attention. And I think I, I spent the summer in the US working, which I usually do, um, what I call workation. So I, I kind of fly over with the family and spend some some longer periods of time there in order to get some 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 quality time um, in, in the U.S. market. And what I do is I I always have a bit more time by myself because I'm away from the team and I, I I book a bunch of meetings with investors, entrepreneurs, bankers, um, just to kind of get a sense of the market and triangulate what's going on. I do that every year. But this year, obviously, the focus was on just what's happening and what happened and what's going to happen in terms of the funding markets, right? So uh, my easy take on this is that um, previously the investments that were going on in 2021, and I'll speak to the B2B SaaS kind of uh, segment here, which I'm active within, uh, were absolutely crazy. There's, there, there were funds. There was, you know, excessive amounts of capital. There were funds driving valuations like SoftBank or Tiger Global that had incredible amounts of capital deployed. That basically are, you know, they, they, their deployment schedule of those billions. Uh, they still have 10-year funds. I'm talking for SoftBank, and 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 within that 10-year kind of um, timing for the fund. 
if they did the math, they were deploying billions of dollars every month. And of course, they're going to throw money at startups that they choose to invest in. So, so there was a massive inflation on, on valuations, right? Driven by the fact that people like, like those behind those funds would say, okay, we're not going to invest X. We're going to, we're going to invest three X for you to capture market. And obviously we're going to invest on a very high valuation because that's what we do. So from extreme market prerequisites to a point where, where macroeconomic factors start kind of making the market worried, right? With inflation, with, with general just setbacks, war in Eastern Europe and, and things that we haven't seen in a very long while. And everyone ta starts talking about, you know, a bear market and everyone starts talking about um, recession. And then the psychology starts again. Investors who were saying one thing 12 months ago with a very secure voice are now voicing something else with a very secure voice. Oh, this is what it's going to look like. So, so then every, everything got, starts going in that direction, right? So you see SaaS multiples uh, contracting from, you know, by 60, 70%, uh, meaning what you're paying for a SaaS company in terms of uh, X times ARR, your revenue. So, and then when that happens, then everyone gets cold feet and stops investing. So that also then leads to, um, there's capital out there to deploy, but no one's investing because they're waiting to see what happens in terms of the market setting. Uh, what, on what levels will we be investing moving forward? And obviously they're also following the, the public markets. The, the private markets usually tend to follow the public markets with you know a six month nine month lag and when you look at like for example the the cloud index in in the us which is kind of an index for for cloud companies um that's been down as i said 60 70 percent it's now the up a bit so it's 40 percent since last year but but the private markets haven't really reacted and what they do is they just freeze and don't do any investments until they see where the multiples kind of harmonize so there's there's no one doing anything, uh, no one's doing any investment, which also leads to companies who come out of last year gun ho with this psychology of we can deploy capital in any way we like as long as we grow growth at any cost. But when you kind of look down the P and L or look at the unit economics of that, the capital efficiency, it looks like shit. Part of my English. So so and that doesn't fly anymore. So mm. there's both kind of the the fast reaction of the, the funding markets based on the macro leading to shortage of capital, leading to companies doing anything to survive, starting to fire people or even going out of business, and the spiral starts spinning, right? Ola, when, when in your career um, do you feel this time is similar to? I haven't seen anything like this before, honestly. I haven't seen it uh, happen that fast. I was actually there during the dot-com bubble as well. Mm -hmm. It was not as, it was a much more selective, small group of people. Uh, there was just a tech community, which was much smaller than today. Today, tech is, you know, it's mainstream. Everyone's kind it's of business. exposed. Yeah, it's, everyone ex is exposed to the technology markets. Mm. Uh, they weren't back, back then in 2000s. So I think this is a much bi bigger shift, but that could also be a good thing because then there's also a broader access to capital. And obviously good companies will always survive. And I think that's, 
that's kind of the next thing that I've seen when triangulating this summer. And it's no rocket science. I mean, I come back and I, I conclude the following. I think consumer businesses will have a really hard time raising money moving forward if they're not extremely well performing. Mm -hmm. I think B2B companies will have an easier path, not easy, but easier than consumer companies because they have much more predictable revenues and the, and the business to business markets aren't hit as, as uh, significantly by inflation as, as B2C markets. So that's the first kind of conclusion. I don't know if it's right, but that's mm. that's kind of what I wrote down on my flight back home. Yep. The, the second one kind of zooming into the B2B markets, I think the investors uh, in the market are now trying to understand where the multiples will land. What's, what's sober, reasonable valuations of these good companies that have predictable revenues that are growing? And the ones that we would tend to look at when we kind of wake up after after the summer and and dust off the sand from the beach is the ones who show a clear path to profitability. And the word profitability was, you know, it was perceived as a swear <laughs> word last year. Nobody wanted to hear about profitability. No, no, no. Mm. I don't care about profitability. I only care about growth. And now the same people in the room are saying something completely different. Mm. And then uh, moving down the P&L, obviously, and then moving into unit economics and kind of with healthy, strong unit economics or capital efficiency, if you may, meaning that they're, they have a, a nice ratio on LTV CAC, that they're acquiring company uh, customers at an efficient rate, mm -hmm. um, that they're paying off those customers at a, you know, an acceptable time frame. So having strong return on the intake is extremely important, as well as looking at um, customer retention and net revenue retention, meaning that your customers are staying with you and they're expanding with you. So those very basic SaaS metrics that are kind of, you know, a, a the first class in learning how to drive a SaaS company have now become relevant again. And they weren't relevant last year. So it's it's once again the imperfection of the of of of, of the human race, right? Again. <laughs> it's all psychology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fear. It's overconfidence. Um, do you know uh, these metrics you're talking about? A lot of our listeners uh, today will be, will have some C-level people. Will have a lot of data, software, front-end pr product managers listening today. Yeah. What? What? How are companies now thinking about? how much they're paying on staff and stuff like that at the moment. In, in those metrics, what, what are they thinking? Well, I think, um, first of all, everyone's looking at their business plans and they've been looking at their business plans the last six months. And so mm -hmm. it's like basically throwing them out the window, I would say, uh, being a bit dramatic. Uh, but, but I think that's what's happening. Right. Uh, meaning that, okay, we have to first understand what our PL look like looks like uh, moving forward. Uh, what's the acceptance of burn, right? And burn is obviously a result of of, of net revenue and, and OPEX. So uh, gross profit minus OPEX. And then they start looking at what can we do top line? Like what are we what are we predicting now if we kind of cut marketing and, and things like that and growth and try to get you know our our intake model to become efficient. That's the first exercise. I think they do, and they do that quite quickly and conclude we don't really know. But what we do know is that our cost base, our OPEX base is 
something much more basic, right? So they'll start looking at the OPEX space. And uh, obviously uh, everything, offices, staff, pencils, computers, and, and that's the classical kind of move. And and they, first of all, is all the the crazy stuff that's been going on. And then sooner or later, it's going to come into a position where what is really need to have and nice to have. And then they're going to come into position. It's like, okay, what is the min, bare minimum to survive? Uh, the ones who aren't able to raise money, they're going to end up there and they, they might not even survive. So I'm sorry, but it's, it's a harsh picture and it's just beginning. And I think we're going to see more of it. So hence, I think everyone's trying to maximize path profitability and that also leads to the need for flexible cost base i think uh flexible and minimized minimized fixed cost base with um with a with an add-on on a much more flexible kind of additional cost base to drive revenue we um is it not positive though and um it's some of the nordic uh, companies uh, some of them have almost published um who they have got rid of in these times mentioning no names but there's a, a couple of instances that i've seen and uh, if we think of a, the, a, our audience yeah it, within that tech data product space you still see very very minimal numbers on those lists from those disciplines yeah um, do you see that happening across the board or kind of what's your view on that? Is it because because those areas are so important to business, are you still going to see people taking this opportunity to get rid of the, the dead wood, quote unquote? No, I think so. Look, once again, I'm, I'm obviously quite focused on my on my industry and, and, and software technology yeah. uh, and software as a service. So if I, if I could speak to that, I think it's more educated. It's a more yeah. educated response. And, and my, I think, as, as it's called, it's software. And the core is software. So, of course, uh, if, you're, if you're looking to, to kind of um, adjust your OPEX and your team, that's not where you're starting. That's the core. That's everything you do, product yeah. and development. So mm. I think the simplified response is that's the last thing that you want to touch. Mm-hmm. You really want to have like the people that are building the core product retained. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then everything else is, you know, a question mark. That's kind yeah. of the first phase, I would say. Um, all right. Just moving this discussion slightly on. So your current role as CEO over at Soundtrack, your brand. Um, how are you? How are you currently knowing this? Yeah, and it's no secret that this is happening from the recruiters, uh, the software engineers, we all know there's something happening and you see it on LinkedIn, people scaremongering, getting concerns. Yeah, how do you perceive your role in this uh, as a CEO to your company? Um, I mean, being 100% transparent and and uh, there, I don't think there's another way. And as a, as a company, we really kind of work with um, what we call our core beliefs, um, which is kind of the uh, the platform for our culture, and one of them is you know transparency. Um, and I've always been brutally honest, brutally transparent with the company, and and in my previous gigs as well, uh, which is uh, maybe a kind of a Nordic thing. Um, I tell people 
completely open that this is the market is more challenging than ever before. Uh, I've told people that we only have two months left of runway in certain instances, which has been the case in the company previously. So my my you know approach to it is being completely transparent. Tell them I honestly don't know where we're going to be, but we're going to have to count every dollar and every hour you put in is going to have to count. And it has to count on the KPIs that drive the business and that we will be able to fundraise once the market starts, you know, sobering up a little bit, opening one eye. So, so I think that is the reality. I'm, uh, I, you know, I'm not saying we're better than anyone, but we did see this early. I started reacting to this and then my management team, team started reacting to this almost a year ago, um, like nine months ago. And so we didn't. Uh, a follow through on a growth plan, increasing burn, hiring people, opening U.S. office and stuff. We just froze everything and started doing the opposite, looking at every cost, uh, everything that we could possibly do in order to further strengthen our laser focus on our core revenue generating business and product. So hopefully we'll we'll be able to retain the team, but all recruitments right now are on hold. Mm. And, and and how have you again as that CEO level? How have you advised um, your senior members of staff, your core leadership team? How have you advised them to to deal with their teams? Uh, have you told them to do anything different? Kind of what what have you done there? No, I mean we we we're we're kind of a small ship, so we're yeah. seventy eight employees. Um, yeah. I almost have a direct channel to everyone. Um, and we, for example, we write every month, which we learned during COVID, by the way, which is a, a new, extremely productive workflow is that the C-level management writes a monthly update and a proper update on everything that's going on, where, where I lead kind of by starting, this is the view on, on overall strategy, markets and, and fundraising and what we need to do. And then all the teams follow afterwards. So I would say the whole team has a full transparent view on what's going on, everything from a product release or feature release to uh, funding and money in the bank and performance. So I think once again, being super proactive in communication, super transparent and honest uh, and high frequency communication is what I'm doing and I'm telling my team to do and we do as a group every month at least and then we do demo every two weeks as well where I also have a Q&A where anyone can ask uh, any type of question so it's back to kind of just being proactive as hell on communication and and providing uh, the tools for for communication fantastic yeah there's, there's got to be before COVID, um, this, this seemed like there was a skill set that needed to be gone through or learnt during that period. It seems like some of that skill set we can actually transfer into uh, what we're doing at the minute. Hopefully, a lot of that have been um, continued to be practiced actually in the in between. Um, one of the things that you and me spoke about a lot um, is uh, you mentioned there's a hiring freeze. And over the 12 months, there might be areas of um, lost staff, um, 
potential areas of growth in certain areas and we talked about how how flexible resourcing could be helpful just talk us through your views on that how do you use it what what is your advice to other ceos and stuff yeah right so um first i i just want to start by saying that obviously every business is different uh my business uh we we deploy a strategy called product-led growth which is um, nothing more complicated than a B2B um, SaaS strategy where we sell a product with focus on self-service, meaning that um, our product is really core. Like when we sell product subscriptions for businesses, we have an ambition to have as high percentage as possible self-service, just like we all come from the consumer industries earlier. So businesses will sign up online, set up online self-service, deploy self-service, and then kind of start playing music in their restaurants or whatnot without ever ever talking to a sales rep. So so that's the that's the ambition, meaning that it's the product experience and the test drive and the seamlessness of getting going uh, self-service is the core. That means that my growth strategy does isn't that dependent on building out an organization. In my mm-hmm. commercial, I'm live in 76 markets. Mm-hmm. I have one employee per market, basically. So, <laughs> uh, and, and you know, that, that's a joke. So, so yeah. obviously, they. So that's we are live in 76 markets. They do talk to each other, don't they? Every everyone <laughs> everyone's building product. No yeah. one's like, and and then we have kind of just one flow for customer success worldwide. So that means that I'm not dependent on building out teams uh, and, and building offices and OPEX space around the world, mm-hmm. uh, I'm trying to kind of perfect the scalability of product-led growth. Mm-hmm. So, so that's really, but still, I would, if I had, if the markets had offered me, you know, additional uh, funding today, I have what I need, but I don't have any surplus. If I would have surplus, I would obviously invest that in dev teams and, and further product development because product can always get better. Product and oh, you can always invest in improved product. So I don't know. I maybe I if uh, if if the market changes and we can raise money on on more efficient kind of multiples, then maybe I'll I'll bring in that surplus and overinvest in product for a while. But that's where I'm always going to be building out. It's going to be be into the product development teams, meaning engineering and product design. And, and what what's the benefit then between flexible resourcing and and hiring an, an, another employee then? I mean, it's it's different things, right? So uh, given what I said previously, we're in the software industry, the core is software. I, I view myself as kind of more or less, you know, overhead in our company <laughs> that could be removed <laughs> if we have to. Uh, so everything is about product. So recruiting people into, you know, product and engineering is priority number one. And when we do so, we do so long term. And our, and our retention rates on on staff are extremely strong in that team because we focus on providing a great great environment to build product and leading product. Mm-hmm. Uh, answering your question, so on top of that, I would be looking what then is kind of additional and could be, fle- be flexible resources that that previously might have been a natural kind of hire, but now I'm thinking about resourcing. Mm-hmm. That could be customer success. That could be sales reps if, if we need those on kind of bigger clients. Um, and it could be marketing 
all of those kind of finance, all of those functions um, are open for more flexible resourcing. I'd rather hire, you know, you always rather hire, but right now it might be the case that I have to put the company into profitability earlier than planned. Uh, hence, that that's an OPEX adjustment away. Marketing and an OPEX adjustment, flexible OPEX adjustment away. So you have to think also on how far from profitability are you? How how fast can you move into profitability? And you need to be able to tell that story to an investor as as a as a risk uh, mitigation uh, topic. Just on that on that, have the investors just gone completely quiet? Yeah, when speaking to you, or are they still there but speaking differently? And no, there. I'm. I'm talking to more investors than ever before. If I was an investor in these right. times, I'd be doing more deals than ever. I don't know what they're thinking, honestly. Like mm. this is the opportunity. This is where the apples and the Google investments uh, are done. Like mm. <laughs> this environment. Like when you do really good deals. So for me, it's kind of a shocker that they're not more active and like reaching out and trying to do good deals with good solid companies. Mm. I, so answering your question, I'm in dialogue with them, but I was expecting them to contact me. I was expecting them to get back from the summer, really look for companies that do have solid unit economics, very strong growth stories and path profitability. Uh, but I so, think they're just, they're waking up from Saint-Tropez right now. So right. uh, I think I don't think they're back really yet. And, and they're thinking about what the hell am I going to do this whole kind of half of the year? Uh, so stay so, in Saint-Tropez if I were them. Yeah. <laughs> Go back to Saint-Tropez. No, jokes aside, I think everyone's really careful. But I think the ones that have money in the bank and are super proactive are going to do the best deals of, yes. of their fund, fund life. Um, finally, okay. Um, oh, so uh, obviously you've mentioned you've got hiring freeze, um, but for those people who like the same track your band story may may have heard about you, um, but never thought about applying, may have seen you around. What what's it like to work at Soundtrack Your Brand? Uh, well, I think what people appreciate, and obviously I'm biased because I'm responsible for it. So, <laughs> so, so I can't really give you a subjective answer. Uh, I do, we do track, um, you know, uh, employee MPS and, and everything. There's an open channel with feedback all the time. We really try to be proactive. Uh, I think, I think it's a really nice, small laser focused team where product uh, is the vehicle to win. And we try to be as disciplined as we possibly can in deploying product investments and development in the right sequence in order to give business results. And I think engineers and product development people like being close to the business. And I try to put them as close to the business as they possibly can, almost all the way to being responsible for certain KPIs. And sometimes you see development like product development being like a subset of the commercial and the business. I think completely different. I want to put the product teams and development teams as close to the business as I possibly can, meaning is that we we build this business together and they are smart, um, proactive people that really appreciate being part of the revenue to build up mm -hmm. rather than, oh, we just build product and somebody else goes and does the revenue. No. We're all in the revenue game together. 
we're all in the gross profit game together, meaning margin development. And we're all in the unit economics game together. Even if you're kind of a, a junior developer, you still contribute. So with that kind of approach to the business and with a very clear strategy and tactical focus, it, it unlocks, I think, um, a, lot of, a lot of creativity and proactivity and also um, kind of purpose. Because mm. uh, we're here, we're here to we're here to do job together. Like we're we're not here to play a game or you know play that we're a family or something. No, we're a team executing on a business plan that stipulates revenue and gross profit. That's what you do as a developer, nothing else. So, so I think that culture has has been set, and some people like it, some people don't. And I think the people that like it love it. Uh, and they want to be close to the business. So I think the culture is really strong. I think it's it's a satisfying uh, environment for developers to be really working with the business as well. And they also feel that that they are core for the business. And if uh, someone listening now going, yep, I would so much prefer to be closer to the business. Um, you mentioned there's a hiring freeze. When should they get in touch? Who should they make sure they're connected with on LinkedIn? That type of thing. What what, what can you advise people? Uh, look, we are we have jobs out. It's just like, I think saying that we have a hiring freeze is basically just saying we're kind of maybe pushing a month or two to see what happens. There's, yeah. a, there's, a, there's a business plan uh, that will require... Uh, a organizational build up from where we are now at 70, 78 to 120, 130. Um, so, so, but it's just a phasing right now. Like investors are waiting, we're also waiting. We got to wait for them because building out OPEX space requires capital. And right now we only have capital for kind of our, our low level case, but that could change tomorrow, you know. So there's there's roles on 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 soundtrackyourbrand.com. Um, there's um, people to connect to on LinkedIn, uh, to myself or to my my CTO Carl Angren. So people will find um, the the work opportunities now, and there will be more coming up moving forward. Perfect. Ola, uh, you're an absolute pleasure to speak with uh, and we really appreciate your insight um, into what's going on in the market. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me.